Today on Bankadelic, something new and something cool. We're going to be making the rounds of current events covering all manner of topics from the latest inflation numbers to artificial intelligence to the comeback of Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> yes, you better believe it. And to do it, we have Stephen Curry, the CEO of Endurance Advisory Partners, to talk us through what's happening here on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth, a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. And boy, oh boy, today we're going to do something that I have wanted to do for a long, long time. And I was waiting for the right person to do it with. And lo and behold, he popped up on one of the holiday episodes we did recently. And I begged him. <laughs> <laughs> bended knee to do this and so he is going to be the guinea pig but also the force for good here Stephen Curry and for those of you who do not know him and who do he's the CEO of Endurance Advisory Partners and he has more than 25 years experience in the financial services industry and we should say has built a team with broad and deep expertise in banking and fintech endurance has also successfully guided more than 70 banks boards and investor groups in executing complex or operationally challenging strategies steven welcome back to bankadelic thank you very much lou it's a pleasure to be here and if you don't mind my asking for the benefit of the audience, one of the things that impressed me, in addition, of course, to your expertise, was the dulcet tones of your voice and your intelligence. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background. I found it fascinating that at some point you did some work behind the mic. I did. I did. Long ago when I was in college. Yes with the college radio station. Fabulous. Well, we're going to revive that part of your career, if you don't mind. Here we go. We're just going to launch into it. And for those of you listening, this is going to be a conversation. Stephen and I are going to talk about what's going on right now, what's hot, maybe what's not in terms of financial services and the economy at large. And let's dive right into it. Stephen, you are such an informed observer of the fintech community and financial services. I would love to know from you what you think 
is going on right now that you find exciting? You know, there's a lot going on, but it's exciting and some of it's a little unnerving, just depends upon which side of the fence you're on. So we touched on some of the challenges that FinTech is facing. I think there's a kind of evolution that's taking place now that banks and FinTechs have been working together for a while. And as liquidity started to dry up in the banking system, the regulators started taking more notice of what FinTechs have been doing with banks. And that led to a real emphasis on things like risk management, vendor management, you know, then elements of technology, how these platforms are knitted together. And this scrutiny from the regulators, it's really brought the fintech community some new challenges. But ultimately, I think it's a big plus for the fintech community because once they clear these challenges, I think it'll be better for the industry. And anybody who can survive this downturn in the banking industry, particularly in liquidity and lending, is going to be a long-term player. It really ultimately is very beneficial to the fintech industry. I think you take that transformation in addition to the evolution of AI in banking, and I think it's going to be a new world here on the other side of this. So lots of interesting things that I think we'll see develop. Absolutely agreed. In fact, when it comes to lending, we know that one of the forces at work here has been the ever-increasing interest rates, that it made it so easy to get a loan a few years back, and now it's discouraged a lot of people from getting into the housing market. And the latest report that just came out from the federal government shows inflation is at 3.1%. Wow, good news, right? But this much I do know. There is a consumer confidence survey that's regularly done, and the expectation index from the latest survey in November remains below 80 for a third consecutive month. Now, what does that mean? That means that people are expecting a recession within the next year. Some relief perhaps in sight with the Fed indicating that they may, keyword may, cut interest rates in 2024. What do you think is going on? There seems to be this disconnect between how much better the economy is versus how much uncertainty and pessimism people feel and these really high interest rates that are making lending a tough matter. I agree. Well, you know, it's an interesting evolution that we're facing here. You know, rates have risen very rapidly, faster than any time in history. And the interesting part about that is, to your point, it hasn't had a big impact on the economy yet. A good friend of mine, Jason Schinker, he's an economist. And one of the points that he made is when the rate on 30-year mortgages fell down to the 2% levels, it pulled forward roughly 30 years of liquidity into individual households as homes refinanced. And I think that's one of the reasons so far we've been able to weather this storm without, you know, the adversity that you'd normally see when the Fed hikes rates. But I think it's lurking around the corner. You touched on a point there about household sentiment. I looked at a report from Haver Analytics, and one of the things that it showed, and I thought this was very dramatic, households are reporting that it's a lot harder to obtain credit than it was a year ago. So if you look back at even in 2020, 20% of the households were saying that it was harder to contain credit than a year ago. Now, 
it's 60 percent. Wow. There's been a significant tightening in bank lending. And I think that's felt really everywhere. Yeah, it seems to me at some level, and you got to correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephen, is that the numbers don't lie. The data is there. We can see what's going on. You have cited some pretty compelling statistics. That said, sometimes behind the statistics, we see this incredible amount of irrational human behavior. Alan Greenspan spoke years ago about this idea of irrational exuberance. I wonder if to some extent we are in a period of irrational anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good observation as well. I mean, everything seems to be up for grabs. I think we're in a broad generational transition. And I think in a lot of the ways our American government has gotten perhaps overextended overseas as this kind of transition takes place, not just within generations, but even within countries and cultures. And I think we're feeling some of those pressures, you know, the supply chain problems that we're having reduced, largely reflected in globalization, the move away from globalization. And those are the kind of things that are going to induce anxiety. When it takes like it did for me recently, it took me six weeks to get my truck fixed after an accident. And it was because of they couldn't find enough labor that was trained and they didn't have the parts and it took a long time to get them in. So, and I know this is being felt by many people around the country now. That's one of the challenges that we all have to live with during this period of transition. What kind of truck you drive? A Ford Raptor. Ah, excellent. <laughs> I'm a car guy. I'm still after a 61 Corvette at some point, but hasn't quite materialized yet. Yes, yes. I've got a BMW as well. So those are my two ends. I can go uh, off-roading or I can just drive the turnpike and get quickly from one destination to another. There you go. A Beamer. Now, speaking of shiny new toys, we have this situation where... Okay, wait for it. AI. <laughs> and since your middle name might as well be FinTech, I mean, who better to observe what's going on with all this experience you have? We are entering a period where it seems to be AI this, AI that. It might not be the newest thing in financial services, right? Because we've had machine learning for a while and we've had the clever and creative use of data. I'm wondering what your perspective is on AI. Is it a little bit too much hype right now, a little bit too much anticipation, or is this already changing the game? Well, the answer is maybe a little bit of both. You know, there's definitely too much hype. Some of that's, you know, at the top of the house in the country, people are worried about the long-term implications of AI and its impact on our uh, civilization. But down at the grassroots, I mean, we're just seeing the beginnings of AI now in areas like chatbots, and, but not so much in our day-to-day -day banking lives. It's going to take a little time for that to really weave its way through. I think on the front end, it's mostly going to be about how AI can synthesize data in ways that make it easier for all of us to do banking, whether that's, you know, apply for new loans or, you know, open accounts, whatever. I think that's one of the big advantages that'll come near term. It'll bring banking more into the house and even less from the branch. I think the day of the branches are largely over. How about that? What makes you feel like the day of the branch is over? Oh, well, you know, 
I think this trend's been underway for a long time. You know, the real use for the branches, I think, as cash itself becomes increasingly less important in our society, plastic and the internet for both our payments as well as money movements and things such as that, the branches get less and less attention. You see, uh, I think it was B of A closed 80 branches a few days ago. I saw Wells Fargo closed a bunch. You know, there's going to be a lot of reduction there. Small business can still use branches. I think they're a prime user at this point. And you do have an older population, like my mother, who still enjoys going to her bank just to talk to the teller. But I think that for the most part, these days are over. Now, shifting gears a bit, I want to go to something that I saw at Money 2020 in Las Vegas that I absolutely could not believe. It was stunning. Silicon Valley Bank was there and <laughs> they were making a presentation that nobody stopped to say, what is going on here? I mean, this was one of the most prominent failures of 2023, and yet they were back and didn't even explicitly get the message out that, hey, we had some trouble, but we're back and you can trust us. And what kept going through my head is why would anybody trust them? What does a bank like SVB need to do after such a spectacular failure to build trust again and people to actually believe it's worth working with them? You know, that is one of the most perplexing branding strategies I've ever encountered. My guess is they chose to do that because they couldn't figure out how to position First Citizens as an effective brand with some of the same customers of the past. And I think they would have been better off using an entirely new brand. When we analyze this period in history, SVB is going to be a poster child for some of the excesses and some of the consequences. I don't really understand that branding strategy. I don't really know how you go about repairing that brand because it's going to be cited as a problem in literature in all corners of the country when we talk about the financial problems this year. So, like I said, I don't think I would have gone there. I guess I should ditch the name Silicon Valley Bankadelic then. <laughs> <laughs> and as we wrap up here, you are once again an observer who's really impressed me over time. And if you were going to alert the audience out there, the fintech audience, the financial institution audience, the audience at large, something to look out for in the next couple of months, what do you see as being potentially worth our attention that's maybe not getting noticed all that much right now? One thing that concerns me is that we're going to continue to see inflation, even after the Fed's raised interest rates, in part because a lot of the fundamental factors that created this inflation, other than just the excess and very rapid increase in the money supply, is that deglobalization. We just are not at the point where we're going to see goods prices deflate rapidly. There are still a lot of challenges you know, getting the right products and components and key elements into the manufacturing process and distributed. We've got a big effort underway right now to move manufacturing out of China or away from being Taiwan-centric on the semiconductor front. And we've got billions of dollars being invested here in the U.S. to drive that transformation. But that's not going to be cheap. 
the end products are going to come out of that are not going to be discounted like they were in China. And so I think that we're going to be stuck with some of some long-term inflation and price increases that we're not used to. The other thing I would say is I think all of this unsettled environment that we've talked about is eh, we're going to face it big time next year during the election. That could create a lot of uncertainty in the financial markets and have some pretty unpredictable results. So I think all of us will be looking to get beyond that and hopefully begin to find some stability in you know 2025 or 26. But I think that 24 is going to be challenging. Yeah. And to your point, the latest inflation figures featured this big drop in energy prices. And I don't know anyone who would bet that energy prices are going to stay low. It was almost an artificial lowering of the inflation rate. And once that hits level, especially with OPEC right now trying to cut production, it could mean inflation goes up. I would not be the least bit surprised. But what a sophisticated view you bring to this, the international picture, the political picture, the financial picture, the industry picture. Once again, you've nailed it, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lou. I appreciate the opportunity. And today we had Stephen Curry, the CEO of Endurance Advisory Partners. Be sure to tune in. Hopefully, I'm going to put my pitch in now that we do this again. <laughs> <laughs> to look for Stephen on LinkedIn. It'd be a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic, sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. 
Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking B I Z News.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And when I'm all done, those Chicago dogs, I'll be linked out. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.